All right, so uh, we are in the midst of our sermon series on the attributes of God. So when you think attributes, that's uh, who God is, um, God's makeup, God's character. And so we're kind of in the middle of all that now. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off by asking you a question, okay? And this is a question with a warning label, all right? So in other words, this is a question you answer to yourself. Don't point to anybody in the room. Uh, especially a spouse, all right? So that's all, that's all the warning I can give. From here, you're on your own. Here's the question. Have you ever known a know-it-all? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, someone who is an expert in everything, right? That, that person who corrects everybody. Um, that, that person who receives, who responds to all incoming information with, oh yeah, I knew that. Ever known anybody like that? Um, I once knew a, nan, a man named Brett. I still actually know Brett. Um, Brett, who was an expert in, in just everything medical, right? Absolute medical expert, although he had never been to medical school, and he worked as a youth pastor. Um, Brett was so convincing, okay? He had a friend who, and I'll, I'll, we'll keep it, uh, you know, G-rated. Brett had a friend who was having trouble going to the bathroom, so um, Brett talked him into drinking a gallon of water to clear things up, all right? Uh, a couple of hours later, Brett went to visit his friend who is now in the ER, all right? And the doctor said to Brett, he said, man, you know, this, this guy, this didn't have to happen, but for some reason he drank like 128 ounces of water and he almost killed himself because he had a urinary blockage. So Brett received that information, and he slunk out of the ER, and he continues to practice medicine without a license to this day. <laughs> it's a true story. All right? I, I wish I could bring Brett here and prove that to you. Um, but, but we know people like that. There are people like that in our lives, right? And, and on the other side, granted, there are some people in our world, especially in history, who have dizzying intellects, right? High IQs, and they've used those, the, the, all that understanding to change the world. Um, I, I think of people like Albert Einstein, um, Aristotle, Churchill, Shakespeare. I mean, these people made a difference. We're, we're still, you know, uh, speaking their names today. But here's the thing about all of them. Despite their gigantic IQs, if you've ever read about their lives, they all had astounding gaps in their knowledge. You know, some of them, I mean, they could, you know, do finite math, but they couldn't tie their shoes. I mean, some of them could lead a nation, but relationally, one-on-one, -on -one, they were a disaster. And all of that is to say, humanly speaking, there really are no true know-it-alls on the planet. There never have been. Now, having said that, let's now talk about omniscience, all right, which literally means all knowledge. This is the attribute of God, which literally means that God knows everything. And just so you know, this is literally everywhere in Scripture. There's nowhere in the Bible that you don't find this truth. Old Testament, New Testament, uh, Psalms, prophets, later writings of, of the New Testament, the Gospels, it's everywhere at this point about God. I'll read you a few of them. First uh, Chronicles 28.9 says, God searches every heart 
and understands every desire and every thought. Does that kind of make you have an inner gulp when you think about what runs through our hearts and our minds? Um, Psalm 139.4, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Psalm 139.16, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. Luke 12.7, I love this one. The very hairs on your head are numbered by God. That's some knowledge right there. Um, Job 37.16, Do you know how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him him who have perfect knowledge. Uh, Psalm 147.5, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. There's no boundary we can put around the knowledge of God. Um, Suffice it to say God's knowledge is complete. God never even learns anything new. Listen to this one. Isaiah 40, 14, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught God the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? That's a rhetorical question with one answer, no one. This is God's understanding. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer on God's knowledge. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, All desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and on earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. Because God knows all things perfectly, he knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor does he seek information or ask all questions. Wow, A.W. Tozier, I think that pretty much covers it all. And yet here's the thing, all of that knowledge It wouldn't mean a whole lot without wisdom, would it? I mean, imagine that. All that knowledge without any wisdom. You know what God would be without wisdom? Be a giant supercomputer, right? That would be all he would be. Wisdom is soundness of judgment. Okay, wisdom is sensibility. Wisdom involves timing. What to do with all that knowledge? I wonder if the Bible has anything to say about wisdom in God. Well, wonder no longer. Here are a few of these. Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. His paths are beyond tracing out. 
Psalm 104:24. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And then finally, Daniel 2:20 20 through 21. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons, deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. So there you have it. You've got all that understanding and all that wisdom. And by the way, if you ever want to know what is the wisest, most understanding thing God ever did, it's really simple. It's right behind me up on the wall. The ultimate act of God's understanding and his wisdom is the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 25. This is the Apostle Paul. And he said, we preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to the Jews and its foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. That's Paul saying of anything that ever happened, the cross is the pinnacle of it all. And that's why, by the way, when the psalmist writes about, the, uh, about wisdom, and he, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom for us, he says it right after he talks about being redeemed in a new covenant by God. So even the psalmist is saying, look, take the cross and take the wisdom of God and pull them together. This is our shining moment in all of Scripture. All right? So we take all of that, okay? God has all knowledge and all wisdom, so we can know that all God does, everything God does, it results in outcomes that achieve the highest and the greatest good. You and I can have that kind of confidence. Um, I love what Grudem says here. He says, we can trust that God always chooses the best goals and the best means or ways to achieve those goals. So you take all that, and we can look at one another, look up to heaven and say, hallelujah, amen. We can be content for the rest of our lives. We can be content and confident no matter what happens. Yes, we can say that on paper. But the thing is, what about tragedy and calamity? What do we do with that? You know, God is all wise, Everything God does, it, it's the very best. These are the greatest goals, the best way to get there. But, but what about all that suffering out there? What about all that suffering in my life? How is that the greatest good? How are those the highest goals? I mean, how is that a perfect display of wisdom given what happens to us sometimes down here? That's a great question. It's a really good question, and that makes this a perfect moment to consider God's servant, Job. Um, many of you have read Job, uh, the book of Job. It's phenomenal. It, it, for me, it was an absolute spiritual game changer. But the short of it is, Job was a very good man. Um, in fact, if you stop to think about the good people in your life, chances are Job was better than they were. He was just a really, really good man. Not only was he a good man, Job was, was a godly man. Um, and his life was filled with spiritual blessing, emotional blessing, relational blessing. And, and at the beginning of Job, he is living the life. Um, he is in harmony with God. Uh, he's in harmony with the world uh, until. And there are quite a few untils for Job 
that happened right at the beginning of the book. Um, until one day, rustlers uh, break into one of his field and steal his cattle and kill all of his servants. That's field number one. Um, and then lightning strikes another field and torches his sheep and uh, uh, his servants in that field. Okay, pretty bad day so far, right? Well, uh, it's not done yet. Then raiding parties break into another field, and they, they steal all of his camels, and they kill all those servants. And if all that weren't enough, a mighty wind hits a house where his children are feasting, and it crushes them. They're dead in an instant. And I, I did forget the cherry on top of the, uh, uh, the cake or the icing there, where finally Job is then afflicted with open sores all over his body. Yuck and ouch, okay? So this is what happened to Job out of nowhere. But remarkably, we read this in Job 2.10. It says, in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. Um, I, I'm just going to propose this to you that perhaps if we had a day like that, a season in our life like that, there might be a few things we'd have to say about it, right? Well, Job, Job said none of those things. He holds on to his trust in the Lord and his belief that God knows what he's doing. Job does this. But then time goes by. Quite a bit of time goes by and nothing changes. Everything stays just like it is. And then Job's religious friends come by to pay him a visit, and they dig into Job like ticks on a dog. They dig into him, and they begin to ask Job questions like, what sins have you committed for God to punish you like this? What evil did your children do to bring a curse on you like this, Job? And y'all, for 24 chapters, like sandpaper, they grate on Job's heart and Job's mind and Job's soul, and finally it happens. Job is swallowed up by the pain, the anguish, the bitterness, and Job finally lets God know in no uncertain terms that maybe God's ways are not always good. Maybe God isn't always fair. Maybe God isn't even honest. Job finally hits that place. And then, of course, God speaks to Job, and it's chapters 38 through 41. And if you haven't read these chapters, go home and read them. But God, God speaks to Job in what some of us call the most wonderful and enlightening moment in the Old Testament. And then finally, the book ends with God restoring Job's fortunes. And we, we read that God blesses the end of Job's life even more than the beginning where everything just seemed to be ideal to us. And when we hear all that and we go, okay, that, 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 that's a great story, but what's the point? Well, I'm, I'm going to bring two points to you today. Um, the first point is this, and take a deep breath for this one, okay? There is suffering, trial, hardship, tragedy, injustice, and heartache in every life at some point. And nobody, not even God's children, gets a free pass from that. Not from darkness, death, and sometimes even destruction in their lives. I know sometimes that's a, that's a hard thing to hear as Christians 
Because there, there are some who would say differently. And I just want to say this to you in love today. If any preacher, teacher, or church tells you differently, they're selling you something, okay? And it's a counterfeit religion. After you say yes to Christ every day, the problems all go away. You never will struggle again. That, that's a, a, a very, very poor sales job. The truth is, though, and I do mean this, the absolute truth for you and I as Christians, children of God, is this, that no matter what comes our way, we do have assurances from the Word of God. The Apostle Paul gives us a couple. I'll just highlight his. Romans 8.28 and Philippians 1.16 say this to us, that God works all things for the good of those who love him. That is absolutely the truth for every single one of us as children of God. Here's another one. He who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Folks, those are ironclad promises from the word of God that at least when this life ends, we like Job will get answers from God that will swallow up all the anguish and all the pain. And some of us have felt some real pain in this lifetime. We might even today. A time is coming when in the light of God, you will say, yes, Lord, I see it. Yes, God, I get it. I understand what you were up to, and it was a better thing than I understood. It really was a perfect word, uh, a perfect work that you were doing. Our confession will end up being something like Job's in the end. God, I know that you can do all things. Surely I spoke of things at the time I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears down there had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. That day is coming, and that is wonderful. It really is wonderful. But still, what do we do about today? What do we do? How, 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 do we, how do we navigate today while we're waiting? And I'll just say this. Unless you have perfect patience and, and, and perfect peace, there is something that you and I can do. There is something in this life that we can do, okay? Um, the first thing we can do is resist the temptation to fake it, okay? That's the old kind of religious maneuver. We want to resist the temptation to fake it. And I want to actually invite you in the midst of that waiting, you and me, to do what Job did in the middle of this book. Now, for, for some of you who have read Job, and you're aware of Job, what Job had to say, um, when he finally blows his top, when he has enough, your eyes are probably popping out of your head right now and going, are you kidding me? That's what we're supposed to do. While we're, that's our response to the anguish and the pain. Because what does Job do? Job lets God have it in the book. Um, Job says things like, God, how can you treat me like this after I faithfully served you? Um, God, what sins have I done to bring this kind of punishment in my life? Job even asks God, God, where are you? That's what Job has to say. But before we cry blasphemer or grab a, 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 a torch and a pitchfork and go after Job, I want us to answer one question together.
that Tim Keller asks about this passage uh, about Job's tirade, and it is the question of Job, okay? Ready for this question? When Job says these things, who does he say them to? Who does Job ask where he is? What has he done? Folks, he says it to God. In other words, all those questions, complaints, and accusations, you know what they are? They are prayers to the living God. That kind of reframe, uh, reframes what we see here. In other words, when, when calamity strikes Job's life, Job doesn't give up on God and walk away. He never does that in the book. Uh, Job doesn't curse and slander God to other people. Job doesn't deconstruct his faith and create, reshape some other version of God that, that's more palatable to him. Job goes directly to God, and, and, and he laments. He lays out his situation and how he's doing. And it is very real, and it is very raw, but what Job is doing is a beautiful example of trusting God in the dark until God either throws on the light or, or until he enters into the light of eternity. And it really is a great model. That's why, you know, we read the Psalms. You ever read a Psalm and go, oh, gosh, David, calm down, brother. But these are prayers. He is pouring his heart out to the living God. And not always, but I think sometimes that is what ails us. You know, in, instead of doing that, lamenting, and laying it all out there to God, a lot of times we, we, we wail about it to everybody else. Or we try to fake our way through, you know? How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm just doing peachy. You know, we, we do that, you know? Or, or we isolate ourselves and we become bitter and hollow inside. And all the while, the God that we've been talking about, the God of unchanging love, the God of unlimited power who is present with all this wisdom and all this understanding and all this, again, love. The same God who sent Jesus to make all things new, to change our hearts, to, to, to change us. Um, this, this same God who poured out the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to encourage us, to really illuminate our day. This God, our Father, is ready, and He's waiting and he's willing to heal us, to renew us, to restore us, to carry us. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you do know all things. And you do all things in perfect wisdom. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes. Lord, sometimes that's, that, that's the thing you do down here. You just shift our perspective and you help us to see what you're up to. Father God, we ask you today to heal our hearts. And Lord, for every one of us, we ask you to draw us close to yourself. Because the truth is, though so often we want situations to change, or we want immediate world peace everywhere, it's just solutions to everything. God, what we need is you. Thank you for being our present, saving, loving God. You're so worthy of our love, our lives, our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.